This is Duray Olalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 203. Let's get to it. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobster, the cash flow ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now, your host, DeRay Olalaye. Welcome to 2022. What is going on, good people? Welcome back to a brand new, the first installment of the new year. Happy New Year. Hope you're doing well. Welcome to a brand new year. We're excited for this year. There's so much to be grateful for, so much to be thankful for. Man, I know over the past few weeks, you see that Spider-Man meme going around where you can't tell if it's COVID or the flu or cold. Yeah, that's what myself and my family and extended friends have been dealing with. And I'm sure people in your proximity have been dealing with for the past few weeks with this new COVID variant. But we have prevailed and we will continue to prevail. So... On to the meat and potatoes of this episode. I mean, 2022 is a big year. 2022, I pray, will be your biggest year yet. And today and over the next few weeks and really over the next few months, I want to prep you for your best year yet. So I want to get your mind right. I want to get your grind right. And of course, I want to get your pockets right. So on today's episode, it's really a part two of the last episode with Mr. Bob Wheeler, where we talked about financial therapy, money exercises, your comfort number, pressures from family to earn more, to be more, to have more, to give more, how that affects you mentally, financially, how to move forward past your mental roadblocks. I mean, it's a true therapy session. So if you haven't checked out episode 202, go ahead and go back to that last episode before you listen to this one. Now, this episode is with Mrs. Wally Miller. And Wally's a financial expert. She's a financial coach. So this is what she does for a living. She helps people pass their financial problems. So she didn't grow up around money. She didn't grow up with the right mindset around money. And this is something I have to talk to guests about before the episode. Because I always want to hear, how did, how, what was your mindset? What did your parents tell you about money? What was instilled in you at an early age that can possibly be why you are who you, who you are today? I mean, these are valid questions, right? That's why episode 202 was so inspirational to me. Because it, it really helped us go back in the time machine and really just figure out 
why we have certain beliefs about the things that we do, especially when it pertains to money and financial freedom and our relationship with money. So yes, today we will be talking about the five different things you can do to better your relationship with money so you can attract more money, so you can spend more money, so you can feel great about the money that you do have, and so you can be inspired about the money that you're going to make in the future. I told you I was going to get your pockets right. But again, to get your pockets right, as you can see, it's all about getting your mind right. And let's just say you got your mind right. Well, when you get your mind right, you're going to get your grind right, right? You're going to figure out ways to make or even keep more of your money. And that's how you get your pockets right. <laughs> so you're in for an amazing episode. I mean, Wally realized a few years into her career that she really had nothing to show for her success, nothing to show for the money she was making. I mean, talk about the average individual that maybe listens to this podcast that's making anywhere from $60,000 to $150,000, $200,000. And even on the low end of that, you start to realize how much money you've made over your lifetime. And this is what happened to Wally. Like She was like, I'm pretty much close to six figures. And she, of course, passed six figures. She'll talk about that. But when she was close to six figures, she realized, I think through a Forbes article, that she needed to calculate her lifetime earnings. And if you've been working 10 years... And you're making right around $90,000, $100,000. I mean, you've made a million dollars in your lifetime. Isn't that crazy? And Wally realized this. And she was just like, man, like, I made over a million dollars already. And she looked around. She looked at her belongings, her possessions. And she was like, I have literally nothing to show for it. I mean, I got some clothes and I got some shoes. But where did a million dollars go? And she felt empty. She's like, what am I working for? What is all of this for? I have nothing. How can I have made a million dollars and I literally have nothing? That was her big awakening. That was what prompted her to take charge of her life, to figure out where all her money was going. I mean, for the first few years of her financial journey, she was just like, where is all my money going first and foremost? She started to track it and calculate it and understand how she got herself in the position that she was in. And at that point, she listened to podcasts, she read books, she hired a financial mentor, and she started to climb out of that rut. Started to invest more and save less. And we'll talk about that on the episode. You're like, save less. She started to invest more and save less so that she can build up a nest egg that pays her whether or not she gets out of bed. Now today, Wally makes way more with her investments than she does at her nine to five job. Crazy. She still has her job. She has, I think, maybe two years left in her plan to, to up and leave the job. But she already makes more with her investments that are providing a return that she doesn't have to go and clock in every day more than she's making at her nine to five job. So we're going to get into all of this. And stay tuned for the very end of the conversation because we will talk about the five ways to establish a better relationship with your money. We're dropping bombs, nuggets everywhere. And this is in order to set you up for the best 2020 possible. So if you're not already subscribed, make sure that you subscribe here to the Before the Millions podcast. Drop us a rating and review. It takes two seconds and it would absolutely mean the world to me. It shows 
iTunes and all these podcast aggregators that this podcast needs to be broadcasted to more and more people. And it tells me that you guys are actually picking up what we're putting down, that we're actually serving you in the best way possible. And if you have any constructive criticism, please don't hesitate to reach out and let us know. We always want to get better. I mean, that's the goal every day that we are on this planet. One thing I've been really grateful for is my passive investment in a lot of these vehicles that are new and hip. And, you know, I've talked about some of the vehicles that I invest in, apart from my active investing. But I've talked about, you know, worthy bonds and more specifically, a sponsor of the show, Fundrise, I've talked about them at nauseum. And guys, the returns that I'm getting on Fundrise are amazing. This is no hoax. This is no BS. Like this is, this is, this is, it is what it is. I've been investing in Fundrise since 2017. I've recommended Fundrise for tons of people and legit, probably every single person I've ever recommended Fundrise to that has gotten into Fundrise has hit me up later and was like, wow, this is, this is crazy dope. This is amazing. It's such a great platform, such a great company. Kudos to those guys. Uh, my returns are crazy upon crazy upon crazy. And I love it. And it's not crazy in the sense where like, hey, one day, you know, the stock market has a valuation of X, Y, and Z. You know, the next day can plummet to, you know, A, B, and C, whatever the case may be. No, these are hard assets. This is real estate. We're compounding dividends on top of appreciation. I mean, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash funderize. They have a great educational platform. Teaches you everything you need to know. And, you know, the last person I recommended Fundrise to, she was trying to figure out if she should join this apartment syndication and put down all this money. And she was wondering if they were the right operators for her, if, was, if this was the right deal and so on and so forth. She had never invested in real estate, but I told her, I was like, hey, it could be a great opportunity. It may not be a great opportunity. But since you're so new to this, you can invest as little as $500 in Fundrise essentially the same type of structure that she'd been investing in when one of those syndications and she can take a step back and really just learn. She can see her returns. She can see the reports. She can get educated from the weekly and monthly emails that Fundrise sends out. She can start to understand the terrain. She can look at her investments she can be diversified with investments because of the platform. It's a crowdfunding platform. I mean, you're not just invested in one deal. You're invested in hundreds of deals. Even with just $500, you invested in hundreds of deals across the board. So again, this is not an ad for Fundrise, but I, I, I truly genuinely wanted to talk about it here at this portion of the show because it's been that impactful in my life and in the lives of everybody I've recommended it to. So yeah, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise for um, a better way to passively invest in real estate. Now, to actively invest in real estate, you guys hear oftentimes that I'm doing deals with no and low money down. And again, it flies over some people's head and some people's like, that's not possible. Some people's like, oh, I can never do that myself. Some people are like, well, it sounds like it could be super hard. You know, there's so many reasons you're going to give yourself to be like, yeah, it's not for me or I'm not even going to listen to that or I'm not even going to take part in that. I'm not even going to explore what that could possibly be, what that could look like, right? And you have some people who are like, that sounds pretty dope. How are you buying properties for $100? I made a post on, on IG the other day just 
explaining the process of one of the deals that we took down. And I literally had like, you know, 50 to 100 people like, dude, this is crazy. Is this real? How do I get involved? So I've decided here at the beginning of 2022, you guys are going to want to listen up and um, really take heed to this. But I've decided to do a free four-part training. A free four-part training on the entire business, the entire system. How to take down deals, how to vet deals, how to make offers. What a deal even looks like. How to get in on these deals with none of your own money. Not a 20% down payment, not a 10% down payment, not a 3.5% down payment. You don't have to go to the bank. You don't have to get approved for a loan. You don't need a, a great credit score. You don't need a private investor. You don't need to rely on, on other people or an approval. You just have to get educated on how investors like myself every day are buying real estate with as little as So if you head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash train, T-R-A-I-N, because I'm doing four trainings over the next month, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash train and sign up for the first training. I'll give you a little sneak peek into all of them. The first training is all about finding motivated seller leads. Right. The biggest thing is, where do I find the deals like I want to do this, but I just can't find these motivated sellers that would sell me the property at such a discounted rate. Well, again, in our strategy, we're not trying to buy properties at a discounted rate. And I know that's going to blow some of your minds. With our strategy, we buy properties sometimes at full price and we still spend less than $100 to acquire the property. And you're just like, Dre, I don't get this. That's why you got to come to the training. So the first one, again, it's all about finding motivated seller leads. The second one, the second one is about building up your real estate marketing funnel. It's all about, and that one's all about systems and processes and making sure that you have a consistent deal flow coming to your company every single day. And then the third session, right? It's probably going to be the most popular one is no and low money down real estate strategy. So what are the actual strategies that we're using to acquire these properties? Because there's two parts of this game. There's finding and marketing to motivated sellers. And if you have a motivated seller on your hand, regardless of the type of deal it is, we're going to give you the tools to make sure you can take down that deal. So whether you need to offer a deeply discounted offer or whether you need to pay close to full price for the property, we're going to show you how to do it both ways. So that it's a win-win for you, your seller, and possibly your buyer if you choose to sell. And last but not least, the last session puts it all together. So we go through a real-life case study of one of my deals from A to Z. So you get the nuts and bolts. You get the how-tos for the first three sessions and the last session is just like, okay, well, here's a real life example. Here's how you can do exactly what we're doing every day in our business. So if you're interested in actively investing in real estate, which obviously makes way more money than passively investing in real estate, then head over to beforethemans.com forward slash train, T-R-A-I-N, and sign up for the first session today. Now you can sign up for each session after the last session is complete. 
So our first session, Finding Motivated Seller Leads, that takes place January 20th. So that means on January 21st, you're able to sign up for our second session, your real estate marketing funnel. So head over again to beforethemans.com forward slash train and sign up for the first session. Totally free. Bring your questions. Bring your comments. Bring your concerns. Bring, bring your inquisitive hat. And again, let's make 2022 your best year yet. I want to put some money in your pocket. What did I say at the beginning of this episode? I want to get your mind right. I want to get your grind right. I want to get your pockets right. So head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash train. And I'm excited to see you on our next live training. DeRay's tip of the week. So our guest today, Wally mentioned this on today's episode, and this is probably the last place you would think to look for such an app. But our tip of the week this week stems from a government website. They have a pretty cool calculator. They have pretty cool calculators in general, but my favorite is the compound interest calculator. And you can actually go to any website. They pretty much all work the same. But... This is the resource that we have for you today. We talked about it on the episode, and I actually use it quite often when I'm analyzing an investment outside of real estate. So if you head over to investor.gov, you will see that there are a slew of financial calculators. Again, the best one on there is the compound interest calculator because you actually get to put in your initial investment, your monthly contribution, the length of time and years that you want to contribute, and the interest rate. And once you put in all that, you're able to calculate how much money your investment is going to make for you within a certain period of time so that you can begin to plan for the future, so that you can begin to reach your financial freedom number. Today, you'll work backwards. Like, all right, this is my financial freedom number. How do I get to this number? And you start to play with the calculator. You're like, all right, well, I need to contribute this amount today, and then I need to contribute X, Y, and Z every single month. So again, we'll talk about this on the episode, but the tip of the week this week is to use this financial calculator after this episode to start planning out your financial freedom goal. They have other calculators on there, such as a college savings calculator. They have a retirement ballpark estimate calculator. They have a a savings goal calculator and so much more. So I find this tool to be super helpful and I know you will as well. So we thank the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission for putting together this site. (laughs) Um, Again, it is an official website for the United States government, and it's probably the last place you would think you would find such such amazing tools. But hey, investor.gov for all your financial tools and calculators. And now your feature presentation. I remember when one of my supervisors left the office and I, up to that point, I had a job and a career that I absolutely loved, coworkers who I adored, and I I was having a lot of fun. And when my supervisor left and there was a shift in management, my ideal work environment turned into a very toxic place. And it was at that point that I realized that although I was a high income earner, I was earning six figures, I was essentially living paycheck to paycheck. That was when I realized that I had no options and I really needed to understand how in the world did I end up here? 
Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, I told you before the call that, you know, I work with lots of individuals and I have a mastermind in the coaching program. And one thing that I noticed, it doesn't matter if, you know, you're making, you know, $30,000 a month or $300,000 a month, like I'm working with all types of people. And I see like, at the end of the month, like those two people who make totally different amounts of money, they're in the same place. They're flat broke. They're worried about what's going to happen next month, whether it's, you know, even the $300,000, $300,000 a year. And you see them with, you know, the two car garages, the, the big house, the kids, you know, the, the ideal lifestyle on the outside, they're scurrying at the end of the month, because again, their expenses are right in line with how much they're making. And you see, again, the person that's making $30,000 a year, they're dealing with the same things. They have a much smaller apartment, right? A much smaller car, but the, the problems are the same. So oftentimes people think, well, it's all about how much you make. And I want to debunk some of those myths here on today's episode and really just dive into financial literacy, financial independence, which is a term that you like to use, right? I like to use financial freedom because that's what I was searching for in 2016 when I was working 70 hours a week. What did you decide to do when you were making good money? You were quote unquote comfortable, but inside there was something nagging at you telling you like, this is not it for me. What was the next unfolding of that? Yeah, I guess I had this misconception that a lot of the financial advice that was out there didn't really relate to me because in my mind, I was good with money. And my definition of being good with money was that I had a budget and, and I sort of hesitate there because what I was calling a budget was essentially a list of the bills that had to get paid, right? So I had a list of bills that had to get paid. And then I also was able to remain out of credit card debt. I never had credit card debt, right? I used a credit card responsibly. I actually liked using my credit card because I could earn points and miles. And I got into the whole world of like travel hacking. Mm -hmm. So I really thought that I was pretty good with money, but it wasn't until I realized that my work environment had really changed and my ideal job had just was a place that I didn't want to go to anymore. And it wasn't because I stopped enjoying the work, but I didn't like the environment. And what had happened is, which is, I think, to your point, what happens with many of us is that right now you might be making more money than you were four years ago, five years ago, right? Maybe the most money that you've ever been making. Yet, as our pay increases, as our income increases, so does our expenses. So we have this whole thing of lifestyle inflation, right? The more money we make, the more money we want to spend. And so I realized that that was exactly where I was. I was making more money than I had in the previous years, but I had also increased a lot of my expenses. And I also didn't really understand where my money was going, because in my mind, I was paying all of my bills. I didn't have debt collectors calling me. I was taking care of my responsibilities. But what I had was a bunch of leaks. I had budget leaks that were happening. So although my bills were being paid, once I subtracted my income from those essential expenses, according to the numbers, it said that I had several hundred dollars, actually a thousand dollars left over. And I was like, I don't see that thousand dollars left over. Where in the world is the money going to? And that was when I realized like, that is where I need to focus. What in the world am I doing wrong that I have no idea where the money is going? And so that was sort of my first 
inclination that there was a problem. The second thing that I also happened was back in the day, they don't really do this anymore. I think, I think it's all digital, but the social security administration would send you an annual earnings income statement. So this is like all of the money you've ever earned from like your very first job at like 14 or 15 years old. And I remember seeing this earnings income report, right? Because social security taxes are taken away if you work a W-2 job or are uh, deducted if you work a W-2 job. And I remember seeing all of the money that I had made over the years. And when I added up that money, I was like, where did that money go? And I looked around and realized that I didn't really have a whole lot to show for it. I had a closet full of clothes. I had sneakers and shoes for days, but I didn't really have the confidence, the financial security and the financial confidence to be proud of where of how much money I had made in my lifetime, because I didn't really have anything to show for it, right? Like what I had to show for it was clothes and shoes. And that was essentially saying what I valued. And I didn't like that feeling that what my spending and what I was surrounded with was saying was that I valued clothes and shoes over anything else. Right, absolutely. And so you had these two different instances where you were just kind of like, man, like this is not what's up. Like I'm supposed to have an extra thousand dollars at the end of my week or my month. And I don't know where that money is going out. That made me immediately think about those apps that I think one of them is called Truebill. I could be totally wrong. Um, I think one of them is called Truebill where it just tracks your monthly expenses as far as your subscriptions. And it just shows you like, hey, these are all the things you're subscribed to that you probably forgot or don't even know or don't even use. And we could easily cut a lot of these things out automatically. Um, I don't use any of those apps, but it just immediately reminded me of that because you're just like, where's all this money going to? It's probably most likely going to things, again, that you don't even realize is coming out of, out of your money. So what did you start to do to solve some of these problems that you were facing earlier on? And how did you have the wherewithal to know where to turn and how to solve these problems? Or did you make some mistakes first? Yeah. So one of the things that really happened was that I went to the lands of Google, like, how can I quit my job? Right. Like, you know, how can I, what am I missing? Right. How can I get my finances in order? Because I knew that again, I didn't really have the runway to be able to quit my job and say, you know what, I'm going to quit right now and then give myself some breathing rooms until I find a new job. Right. And that was what I wanted. I wanted that option and that freedom. And so I began to Google, like, how can I quit my job? What am I doing wrong? And I realized that I was missing a really important component. I was living within my means in that I wasn't going into debt. Right. So I wasn't spending more money than I made, but I was spending every dollar that I earned. And the second thing that I wasn't building wealth, and that was something that I really had to understand because that term wealth wasn't a term I was really familiar with. I was equating wealth with being rich. And I was like, well, I'm not an athlete. I'm not an actor. I'm not a singer. Mm. I'm not an artist. So I will never be quote unquote rich. And even when I think back in my childhood, I born and raised in the Bronx. I'm a daughter of an immigrant. I'm a first-generation college graduate. We just didn't have conversations about building wealth. There were some things that I learned about money directly from my parents, but I think the really important things were the things that I learned indirectly from my parents, right? They maybe didn't sit me down and talk about this is a way to build wealth. In my mind, it just wasn't accessible to someone like me. 
Mm. Right. Being especially from New York City, but also like the poorest borough where everybody around me was in the same sort of financial struggles. And so really getting familiar with using that term wealth and also defining what wealth meant to me. It wasn't just about money, but also like what did a wealthy life look like when it came to health? relationship finances. And so I really had to begin defining what that word wealth meant and what it would mean, what it would look like, what would my lifestyle look like? What would my life look like if I had a wealthy, if I was wealthy? And so I began really sitting with that concept, which was very uncomfortable right? And so I actually implore anybody out there, if I'm like, look, you can be wealthy. Is that something like that you embrace 100% and you're like, yes, I will be. Or you're like, well, I don't know. I think I'm going to be like financially stable or financially secure, but you're rejecting that term. I can be wealthy. That is something that we should work on, right? (laughs) That is something that's sort of like a mindset. And I know this term mindset is a little woo woo, But when we're talking about mindset, it's just essentially your habits, your relationship, your behaviors when it comes to spending, earning, saving, investing money. Absolutely. And we'll get into a lot of that a little bit later, especially our relationship with money and a little bit touching on financial independence as well. But when I think about your journey thus far, it sounds like you have multiple problems that you're trying to figure out, multiple things that you're trying to solve, right? First, you're trying to figure out where all your money is going. And then you're trying to figure out if you're discontent at work. And then you're trying to figure out if and when and mm-hmm. where you can make more money and how that equates to wealth. Again, you're, you're, you have all these fronts where you're just like, man, all right, I need to figure out this wealth problem, this wealth problem, this money problem here. What do you, what, where do you start to turn? You start to read books. Do you found counseling? Do you go to financial therapy? I just had a financial therapist on and he, you know, he was an amazing guy talked about financial therapy, but where, I mean, where do you, again, your, your family, you don't have the background. Like, you know, you ask your parents today, like, mom, I'm like, I have money problems. They may go tell you to talk to your teller, right? Like, where do you even begin to turn? Where do you look for guidance? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I realized is that unfortunately, a lot of the financial terms and jargon can make it seem very overwhelming that managing your finances is overwhelming, but it really doesn't have to be. And one of the things that I really had to do uh, when it came to sort of starting my journey to financial literacy, right? Because they don't even teach this stuff in school. Although I think some states are making some moves in recent years to begin implementing some financial literacy courses or personal finance courses. It's really still rare. And one of the things that I really had to do was come to terms with my numbers and really know my numbers. I knew how much money, what my salary was, but what your salary is, isn't necessarily how much money you're bringing home. Then I had to really understand what is my take-home pay and then what my expenses were. So really, I would say that first step was getting to understand and know what my numbers were with what my income was and also what my true expenses were. And I would say when we're talking about true expenses, it's those essential things, right? That need to absolutely get paid. So things like your accommodations, right? Your rent, your mortgage, your housing, but also things like transportation, things like food. What are you really spending? A lot of us will say, oh, I'm spending X amount of money, but they have no idea, right? They don't really truly know. 
how much money they're spending on groceries versus how much are you spending on dining out? Do you really know that number? How much did you spend in the month of November for your groceries versus eating out? And so I would say that that first step was really to get to come face to face with what my numbers were. When you think about that process or however you implemented that process or implement it today, was it through an Excel document? Was it through notes or was it through a specific app that you could recommend for our listeners? All of the things that you just mentioned are tools, right? So I think that what is going to work best for you is going to be the one that you're going to be able to keep up with. For me, an Excel spreadsheet worked best for me, but there's some really great apps. If you use paper and pen, if that's where your mind goes, awesome. Like it doesn't matter which tool you use. For me, I used a spreadsheet and I separated my expenses from exactly that, the things that were essential, like the must haves. And then the things that weren't must have, but brought some convenience to my life that brought some joy in my life that made my life a little bit easier. And there were wants, right? So separating what your needs were from your wants, that was something that I did. But here is where I kind of realized where the problem was. So I had a list of my needs and I had a list of my wants, but I didn't have anything (laughs) that was talking about building wealth. It wasn't anything about saving for the future. And so I had to figure out a way of living my best life today without forfeiting what I was going to need Mm. in the future. And so start there, right? Like I said, it doesn't matter if you use a spreadsheet, there's some fantastic apps out there, paper and pen will do fine, but just really get to know what your numbers were. The tool that you use to get to do that is going to be different, right? You might, I, like I said, I prefer Excel spreadsheets. You might prefer an app, totally fine. As long as you can find something that will make that clear to you. One thing I've realized through my experiences and other people's experiences is that there isn't always one right answer. There's not always one way to do things. And one thing that you mentioned to me that I really want to hone in on a little bit and understand where you're coming from is when you say, I want to live my best life today while being able to save and invest for the future. Whereas some might have the notion, I want to suffer and have maybe not suffer, but something called delayed gratification, right for now as a means to an end, right? How, how do you decide that dichotomy that you want to figure out how you can not take away from your life today, but also invest in your future? It's incredibly important to avoid deprivation when you're on your financial wellness journey, Mm. right? For me, when I understood what financial independence meant and what I really wanted to do um, at that point, I was in my early 30s and I was like, dang, I love my career. I love the job that I chose. But right now, I don't want to do this for the next 20 or 30 years. And that was kind of scary, right? Like, (laughs) I'm going to be, I'm going to have to clock into a nine to five or work corporate or live on somebody else's schedule because I don't, I can't just walk away. I need that paycheck. I have to pay my bills. And so really when I, when I began to understand what were some ways to reach financial independence and to me, you know, financial independence is a framework where you build enough passive income so that you don't have to depend on anyone, <laughs> on anyone to, you know, feed your family or to pay your bills, right? Your passive income will generate that. And there's different ways to build passive income, right? You talk a lot about real estate. I like the stock market. There's also things like royalties, right? You can like 
you know, write a best-selling book that will pay you for the end of time. So there's different ways, there's different types of investments that you could do today in order to build that passive income. But what I understood was that every dollar that I was generating of passive income was buying a minute an hour of my life back, right? So if I could build enough passive income so that I didn't have to work for 30 years, maybe I could just do it for 25 and then 20 and then 15 or 10 or five years, whatever that number is for you. That is, you know, sort of understanding how to come up with that calculation. And then, you know, the question that you mentioned was how can you sort of have this life where you are preparing for the future? right? Without living a life of deprivation, I always equate it sort of like a diet, right? We all know we should eat a little less carbs, a little less sugar, have a little bit more vegetables. Like that is a great way. Now, there are some people who could give up chocolate or sugar for the rest of their lives. Most of us cannot. And so how can you add back some of the things that you enjoy, right? but also cutting out the things that you don't really care about. And that was what I did with my money. I realized, for example, for me, traveling was something I was really, was really important to me. Even while I was on my financial wellness journey, I didn't want to give up traveling, but I realized, okay, do I really need to buy another pair of shoes or another outfit? And anytime I went to that store and before I went to the checkout line, I'm like, okay, this pair of shoes, this jacket, this coat, this outfit, cost me X amount of hours that I need to work. And when I began to translate the amount of hours that I would have to work in order to afford the thing, what came through was what I was valuing. And I was like, you know what? Again, I was valuing at that time, my freedom. And I was like, I could do one of two things. And sometimes it is quite all right. You could look at that outfit and you say, you know what? It is worth four hours of my work time. I'm going to buy this outfit. That's totally fine. Or this gadget or this technology piece, right? This tool. But is it really worth four hours of my life of working? And sometimes I said yes. And sometimes I said no. And when I aligned my spending with what I valued most, that was when I got to the core, what was most important to me. And I think so many times we're spending money without really realizing that our spending doesn't reflect, is not aligned with what we want, is not aligned with what we really value. Absolutely. And I know that there are a few things that you can do to really just give yourself that firewall, right? And, you know, oftentimes people say put something in your cart for maybe 30 days. And if you still want it 30 days later, then it may be a good, you know, good way for you to make sure that you're hedging against buying all the things that you see that you're instantly emotional about today, but may not have a use for may not want in the next 30, 60 days. But you know, when you think about your particular circumstance and some of the things that you started to do when you were shopping, I want to go back to your story and how you even decided that, hey, this job may not be for me. How do I make more money? And then how do I invest my money, right? You said you're involved in the stock market. So earlier on, you decided, again, you don't know where that your extra thousand dollars is coming from or where it's going rather. What did you end up quitting your job? Did you end up finding a way inside of the workplace to make more money? What was your next step in that arena? And then how did you start figuring out, okay, now that I'm you know, at a better place at work where I have more money, more disposable money to spend, I'm no longer spending this money on clothes and shoes. Where am I putting this money and what are my tactics behind what I'm doing? So first and foremost, again, when it comes to that job, how did that situation play out for you? 
Yeah. So I ended up, I did leave that job after I think I stayed for an extra, maybe nine months. But during that nine months, I began laying the foundation and nine months could be a long time. Right. But for me, it was very motivating once I knew that I had a plan. And for me, those nine months actually went by really quickly because I knew that I was laying my exit plan out. And so one of the things that I needed to do was first build an emergency fund, right? It was no longer enough to have a couple hundred dollars in my savings account for if a tire blew out, right? (laughs) Like that was good. That was a good start but I needed to have enough money so that I was never in that situation again. So that if I needed to quit my job or take a sabbatical or take a leave of absence, I didn't have to worry about how is my, the lights going to stay on and how are my bills going to get paid? But how am I going to maintain that roof over my head? So I knew that I needed to have a little bit more of a cash cushion. And so I began building my emergency fund. The second thing that I knew is that for midterm and long-term goals, saving money isn't the way, right, to be able to build wealth, right? We can all save our way to a million dollars. It's going to take, what, maybe $20,000 a year for the next 50 years at saving. If you're just saving money in a savings account, right? Like savings accounts right now are earning 1% or less. So I needed to figure out how can I have my money work for me? How can I turn $100 to $150? How can I turn $1,000 to $2,000? And that was when I learned the secret, right? And I'm going to tell all your listeners about it. It's called compound interest, (laughs) right? It's compound interest. And when I realized, wait a minute, there is a tool, there is an avenue that I can use out there where I can double my money simply by letting compound interest work for me. Now, I remember, I think I was maybe like 18 years old. So I remember back in the day when we used to have savings accounts that had 4%, 5% interest, right? But long gone are those days. And so it's like, how can I have my money that I'm putting away, that I'm stocking away, grow and basically grow it and create that passive income and do the hard work, the heavy lifting for me. And I realized that that was the component that I was missing, right? When it came to wealth building, I didn't know how to build wealth. I didn't know really under truly understand what compound interest was. But when I learned what compound interest was, that I realized that I could put a certain amount of money you know, let's say a thousand dollars and by itself, without me having to do anything passively, it can grow from a thousand dollars to a thousand one hundred and a thousand two hundred and to two thousand and to ten thousand and to fifteen thousand. I was like, I need to be doing that, right? That is what I need to be doing. So that was really what I began to understand and really began diving deep. I realized that there was a whole community of people who were in their 30s and 40s who were able to be financially independent. And when we talk about financial independence and when we talk about retirement, I have come to realize we have been sold a bag of lies, right? Retirement isn't an age. It's not 65. It's not 70. It's not 60 retirement is when you have enough passive income to sustain your life. And it doesn't matter if you're 25 years old, if you're 35, if you're 45, when you have enough passive income that will generate to pay for your lifestyle, that's when you can quote unquote retire. And I feel like us millennials have really even defined, redefined what retirement is, right? Retirement to me isn't sitting on a beach doing nothing. 
retirement to me is waking up and deciding how I want to spend my day that day. If I want to do something great, if I want to do nothing great to that too. If I want to go volunteer, I don't have to go ask my boss for that. Right. If I want to go take care of a sick family member, that's the freedom. And that's being financially independent. I love it. When did you retire or when are you planning to retire based on that plan that you initially created? So I will be financially independent. Our plan, my husband and I's plan is to be completely financially independent by the end of 2023. So now we sort of redefine that. Like, so you're going to go sit at a beach? No. What that means is that at that point, I can decide how I want to generate income or not generate income, right? I could decide whether or not I want to work for money or not work for money because it's no longer defined me. So in about a year or in about two years, or maybe less, depending on how the stock market does, right? <laughs> but in about two years, we will be completely financially independent, meaning that our investments have grown to such an extent that it's generating enough to sustain my husband and I's lifestyle. I was just even thinking about this year, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And this year, we have generated more money, more income in our passive investments than we have in our W-2 jobs. And it's just like, that is the power, right? right. That's the power of investments. Absolutely. So in terms of a plan, right? Again, I want to give our listeners something to start tangibly walking away with as we get into that portion of the show. Actionable and steps. <laughs> yes, absolutely. In terms of a plan, when you think about your ideal plan, and you're again, heavily invested in the stock market, is it just as simple as, hey, I'm taking a certain portion of my W-2 proceeds, and I'm pouring it into index funds and things of that nature on a consistent basis? I would say the first thing is try to decide figure out what type of investor you want to be. I call myself a lazy investor, okay? I don't want to do a lot of work. I don't have four or five different screens when we're talking about stocks or, or trading. Like I do not trade. I don't day trade. I don't swing trade. Forex. <laughs> yeah, I don't do any of that. Like I simply automate my investments, but there's different ways of investing, right? You can be an active investor, you can be a passive investor, and you can invest in the stock market, or you can invest in real estate. And we talked about this a little bit beforehand, but I'm also a real estate investor, right? And even though I see the power of real estate, I still prefer the stock market, right? Because even with real estate, and I have a property manager, so I am as hands off as you could possibly think when it comes to my real estate investments, there's still some work there. And I think one of the issues, and you probably hear this all the time, when people are getting started to investing in the real estate market, you have to have a, it's a higher barrier to entry, right? Nowadays, you can begin investing in the stock market with like $25. You can't start investing in real estate, right? You can go buy a house with $25. And so that barrier to entry is a little bit higher, but I, I enjoy both. I like that diversification. And so first I would say, try to decide what type of investor you want to be, right? If you're working a nine to five job and a lot of primarily work with a lot of women, women will come to me and they will say, I want to start investing. I know I need to start building wealth. I'm really interested in generational wealth. I got a nine to five, help me leverage my current income. And the first question that I have for them is, are you using the tax advantage accounts that are available to you, right? This is not GameStop. This is not, you know, shooting to the moon. This is not crypto. 
this is like, how can we begin to cut that expense, right, of taxes, for example. And so begin thinking about the tax advantage accounts that might be available to you if you are either self-employed or if you have access to employer-sponsored retirement accounts. So if you have things like a 401k or 403b, for example, are you putting money aside there? And did you know that that money just doesn't sit there? That money gets invested, right? Let's say, for example, you don't have a 401k. You're a solopreneur. You're an entrepreneur. Did you know that you have access to something like a Roth IRA or even a solo 401k? And so really try to decide what type of investor you want to be. There's a term that I like to use, and it's really trim the fat. And fat means reduce your expenses when it comes to food, accommodation, transportation, and taxes. Okay, so I spell it F-A-T-T, food, accommodation, transportation, and taxes. Reduce the fat And you'll be able to use the difference, right? The less money you spend, the more money you'll have to be able to invest. But there's another side to that because sometimes you're like, look, I'm living pretty frugally. I don't have anywhere else to cut. Then the next thing is how can you generate more income, right? So it's either reducing expenses or increasing your income. But whatever you do, or if you have the ability to do both, Um, use the difference in order to invest. And it doesn't matter how you want to invest. It doesn't matter if you want to invest in real estate or in the stock market or in businesses, right? There's different ways to invest, but work that, figure those two questions out first. Like how can I reduce expenses? How can I increase my income? And then I'm going to decide the type of investor I want to be. I love it. Just because my listeners will call me if I don't have any pushback on what you just said about real estate, as this is a primarily real estate show, you can, <laughs> and I do buy properties for $10, $25, but it's all because of the knowledge acquired, right? You have to have the know-how and obviously the money still comes from somewhere, even though it doesn't come from me, it does come from somewhere. So you can do it, but obviously I'm being facetious. You can't do it the way you're doing stocks where you can just get into a stock today for $25. You obviously have to find a great deal. And you know, there's a lot that goes into that, but just wanted to be facetious for just a little bit. But what now when it comes to actually, you know, when you think about, okay, I'm, I'm doing all this to pour money into investments so that these investments grow over time, but I'm also doing all of this for financial freedom, financial independence. How do you distinguish, okay, I'm going to take, again, your plan is in two years, you and your husband are going to be financially independent. How did you decide that point? And the reason I'm asking is because you have to come up with a number or a percentage of money that you're going to reinvest, right? And then you have to come up with a number or percentage of money that you're like, hey, this is what I'm going to use to provide for myself and my family, right? How do you distinguish that dichotomy, especially as you're trying to escape the rat race, right? Because again, you could invest 100% of all proceeds, all dividends, everything back into your investment. But at what point do you start pulling money out? Because the whole goal is to be financially independent. Great question. So essentially, it's like, when do I know that I've reached financial independence, right? And one of the things, and we talked about this earlier on, that it's not about how much money you make, right? You could be making $50,000 and have a 10% annual savings rate, right? And you could be making $150,000 a year and not saving anything. So that person making $50,000 is doing way better than that person making one hundred and fifty. So it's really about understanding what your savings rate is, Okay. The higher you increase your savings rate, the more you increase your savings rate, 
that is going to see or determine how quickly you'll be able to reach that nest egg, okay, of passive income. So the first number that I think it's really important for people to know, um, and I've mentioned it before, is to really understand what your monthly expenses are, right? And I think a lot of times when I ask people, what is your monthly expenses? They'll just say their take-home pay. So if they bring home $10,000 a month, they'll say my expenses are $10,000 a month. And it's like, no, that's uh, essentially what I was doing, right? You're absolutely fine. So it's really to understand what your monthly expenses are. Once you figured out what your monthly expenses are, multiply that by 12 to get your yearly expenses, right? So if you are spending let's say you're spending, I don't know, $3,300 a month. Let's say that ends up being about $40,000 a year. What you would do is take your yearly expenses and multiply that number by 25. There's a rule called the 25X rule or the 25 times rule. And what you want to do is figure out, okay, if your yearly expenses are $35,000 a year, multiply that by 25, it comes out to 875,000. If you spend $40,000 a year, you're going to need, and you multiply 40,000 by 25, that comes out to a million, right? If you spend $80,000 a year, if you have $80,000 a year of expenses, you're going to need, and you multiply that by 25, you're going to multiply, need about $2 million, right? So the amount of time that it will take you to save that amount of money is going to depend on three things. The first thing is it's going to depend on your savings rate. It's going to depend on your annual rate of return, and it's going to determine the number of years until your financial freedom date, your financial independence date, or the years you retire. And this is not breaking news. If you go to a certified financial planner, this is the same exercise that they use to see what's your nest egg that you have to build. So know your monthly expenses, multiply that by 12. So you get your yearly expenses. Once you get your yearly expenses, multiply that number by 25 and you're going to get what's the nest egg you need. So for example, again, let's say your yearly expenses are $80,000 and you're like, wow, 80,000 by <laughs> times that by 25, that's $2 million. How the heck am I going to get $2 million? Well, let's say, for example, you want to retire or be financially independent in 10 years. There's a couple things that you should know. First is, how much money do I need to contribute? How much money do I need to save? Really invest, right? How much money do I need to invest in order to make sure that I am financially independent in 10 years? Well, if you're spending $80,000 a year and you need that $2 million, that number comes around $10,600, $10,700, right? At a, at a what percent savings rate? Well, so it depends on how much money you're earning, right? So I'm taking just the annual expenses. So, you know, again, if somebody's making 80,000 or their expenses are $80,000, they're earning a lot more, right? They're really earning a lot more. But let's say, for example, they want to, they're like, okay, wait, I can't save $10,000 a month. That's a lot of money, right? If, for example, they're like, okay, but how can I do this in 15 years? Well, then you're able to adjust the amount of monthly contributions, right? If you're able to, over 15 years, save about $5,700 a month, and I'm saying save, but I really should be using the term invest. Um, if you're investing about $5,700 a month, you'll be able to gain that money back or be able to have that nest egg in about 15 years, right? 
And the same thing, if you want to do it in 25 years, you're like, you know what? I love my job. I have, I'm pretty good. <laughs> like I could see myself doing this forever. Then maybe you don't need to be investing as much. And that would be a monthly contribution of about $2,100. Now I like to, what, and people might say, okay, but how are you getting these numbers? There's some really great compound interest calculators out there. That was there. my next question. <laughs> yeah, there's some really great compound interest calculators out there. And one of the things that we know for sure is that over the lifetime of the stock market, the stock market on average, so this is like forever, right? <laughs> Since the stock market has, has existed, the average rate of return in the stock market is about 10 to 12%, right? I actually don't use those numbers. I use much lower numbers. I want to be very conservative. And so I use generally about seven to 8%. Guess what? This year, in the middle of a pandemic, the stock market is up over 20%. Last year, 2020, when it was the start of the pandemic, it was still up over 20%, right? So it wasn't doing the average of 10 to 12%. But we know that the stock market can go up and down, right? In 2008, when the real estate market um, really was suffering, the stock market suffered, right? So stock markets went down during that time. We know that at the beginning of March 2020, stocks lost you know, in general, about 30% of their value. Now, of course, it did go up within a couple of months, but you know, that was pretty, you know, that that could be, it was a tumultuous time. So I like to use that number of about seven to 8%, knowing that, okay, over the, the history of the stock market, it's gone up 10%. And I keep saying stock market, but you could do the same thing for real estate, right? If you have your return on investment, if you have your annual rate of return where you're getting 10, 20% on your money, and that is consist that is a number that you're consistently getting, then use that number. So it doesn't matter, again, the vehicle of investments that you use, but you want to know what your annual rate of return is. And I mentioned that there's some really great compound interest calculators out there. One that um, I'll recommend is just go to investor.gov. It's one available <laughs> on the, a government website. And just, uh, they have a bunch of calculators, but the compound interest calculator there, you basically say, okay, how much money do I have invested or saved right now for my wealth building journey? Okay. So let's say you're starting at zero. You don't have anything saved, but you know that the stock market on average returns about 10 to 12%. Like I said, I like to use seven and 8% just for safety, <laughs> just to be conservative, and then you can say, you know what? I can't dedicate $10,000 a month. I can't even dedicate $5,000 a month, but I can dedicate saving $500 a month. And when you enter that number, it'll ask you how many years do you want to do that for? Do you want to do that for one year? It'll tell you in one year, this is what that nest egg will grow to. If you want to do that for 15 years, it'll tell you in 15 years, if you consistently contribute and invest $500, how much that money will grow to. And I think seeing those numbers and really understanding the power of compound interest and the power of investments was really what shifted me. I was like, wow, I don't have to save a million dollars. I don't have to save $2 million dollars. I could save a small portion and let that compound interest grow and those investments do their thing. Yeah, I love that. That was beautifully and succinctly said. So just to kind of reiterate, for you to get to your financial freedom number, your financial independence number, right, you need to have this nest egg that spews out the money that you need to live, spews out the money that you need to survive. In order to get that nest egg, you need to start investing in things that provide you with 
great returns. Now, when you say the stock market, right, I want people to know that you're not talking about individual stocks like Google or Apple or Tesla or even some of the great performing stocks, right? These are very cyclical. You're talking about the stock market as a whole, how it's performed since the beginning of time. And even when it comes to your allocations, right, you may be invested in U.S. stocks at 50% and then international stocks at U.S. 50% just to diversify. So you're investing in the world economy at this point. And that's what I think Wally is referring to. So again, in order to get that nest egg to where it needs to be, you need to start investing today, figure out the numbers from a backwards point of view, right? Start with the end in mind and then work backwards to figure out what needs to happen today. Did I leave anything out? No, I love that. And you just touched on something that is really important. One of the reasons why I stayed away from investments early on was because to me, it was gambling. I was like, wait a minute, that could go up and could go down. And trust me, there are definitely some gamblers in the stock market, right? And there is a way to invest in the stock market that is gambling, that is very risky. The same way even with real estate, right? You're like, you look at some people's deals and you're like, what are you doing? You're really exposing yourself to a lot of risk there, right? And so there is there's always risk to any investments that you do, but there are safe, there's ways to mitigate that risk. And when people come to me and they say, I really want to start investing, what they're asking is tell me the company I should be investing in. And yeah, if you are going to put all of your retirement and all of your financial independence goals in one company, that is highly risky, right? Because Google is the bomb right now, but we don't know where it's going to be 20 years from now right? Think about a company like Kodak. Kodak was one of the top companies mm -hmm. back in the 60s and 70s. And now it's like, what's a Kodak, right? <laughs> and so it's not about putting all of your eggs in one basket. It's about that diversification. And not only in US American stocks, as you clearly mentioned, right? This is also about when the US economy is not doing so well, international stocks might be doing better. But it's not investing in one single company. I like using things like index funds, right? So when we think about index, what, what does that mean, right? I'm going to use one that I really like. We've probably heard when, you know, news reporters will say the Dow Jones is up, the NASDAQ is down, the S&P 500 is up. Well, what do all of those things mean? The S&P 500 simply stands for the Standard & Poor's 500. What is the Standard & Poor's 500? The Standard & Poor's 500 is simply the top 500 companies in the United States. That's it. So when you're thinking about, man, what is going to be the next up-and-coming company? I don't know. I don't know where some of these huge companies, even the top 10 companies, are going to be two years from now. But I know that the S&P 500, the top 500 companies are going to be the top 500 companies. And guess what? If there's a company in the top 500 companies that isn't doing so well, it gets kicked out and a new and improved one gets put in. And so instead of trying to figure out which 500 companies or which 10 companies should I invest in, just buy the index. And that is what index investing is, right? You can actually say, I'm not going to invest in Tesla or Google or Apple on an individual basis, I'm just going to invest in it as a whole. And there's also ways to invest in the in real estate, right? REITs, right? You can invest in, in REITs with, in the real estate market, in the real estate sector without owning individual properties as well. Yeah, absolutely. 
Now, the disadvantage of that, as the listeners, some of the listeners should know, is that you are not a property owner. So you're not getting a lot of the advantages that we do get, but it's a great way to get into real estate. One popular sponsor of the show is Fundrise. I've been investing in Fundrise, which is a crowdfunding platform since 2016, and, and my returns are killing, especially this year. So uh, definitely look into that as well. Yeah. Um, while we've had uh, Man, we've had so much fun on the show. I've learned so much about your journey, so much about financial independence and your journey to financial independence. And I'm continuing to cheer you on. Did you have time for a quick bonus section that we can do before the final round? Because I wanted to still see if we can touch on financial relationships and be five, um, the five things that we can do to better our financial relationships. Because it's great that we've given out a lot of technical things that we can do, right? But the technical things I find often that you can, again, you can Google these things. You can find these things in the mm -hmm. textbook. And a lot of people don't really take those actions, even though they may know the steps. So like, it's great to have all the technical stuff, which is what most people want to hear. And most people are like, yeah, all that woo-woo and rah-rah stuff. I can, you know, I don't need all that. Just tell me exactly what to do. But oftentimes, I'm sure you found this as well, that most people get caught up in the woo-woo, in the thing that's between their ears and not taking the right action or not doing it at the right time. So again, if you have a few more minutes. I just want to see if we can uh, quickly talk about some of the things that we can help better our, our relationship with money and our financial relationship overall. Yeah, absolutely. I I'd like to say that the math, the calculations are easy, right? The mechanics is easy. The mindset tends to be harder. And guess what? When we're talking about financial wellness, when we're talking about reaching even financial independence, it's really mindset over the mechanics, mm -hmm. right? Doesn't matter the tool you use. <laughs> it doesn't matter the, the calculator you use. It's really get your mindset right so that the mechanics will fall in line. Absolutely, 100%. So when it comes to, again, having the right mindset, I want to, I want to, again, I, I know that you have five, you know, popular ways to change your relationship with money. So I want to go through those ways and see if we could help our listeners on their way. So if you think about, before we get to the five, why it's important to have a relationship with money first, right? Because some people don't view it as a relationship, right? They view it as, oh, this is a resource. I need to take advantage of it, right? Is it important to view it as a relationship? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way that we behave towards money, right? When we get it, the way we earn it, the way we spend it, so much of that is actually shaped when we're really young. And I'm not talking about when you're 20. I'm talking about when you're like seven, eight, nine, 10 years old. And so can you imagine that, that your relationship with money is really defined and created when you're that young? So when you hear comments like money doesn't grow on trees, right? We don't have money for that that is too expensive. Or perhaps you can buy anything you want because money is totally abundant and it doesn't matter, right? Like some of those things could be really negative. If we don't really understand why we believe certain things and really understand what our relationship with money is, what our habits, our rituals, we can really begin to, to shape some or create some really bad habits when it comes to spending money and earning it. Absolutely. I'm going to link to a previous episode I did with, with a financial therapist. And, you know, I want to link to that because I, that episode, we really discussed some of those underlying beliefs and thoughts around money. And I want this episode, especially the portion we're about to get into is how to have a better relationship. But in that episode, it's episode 202 of the podcast. I mean, we talk about the, the relationship that this woman has with money and how she tied that to her relationship with her mom. And every time she would hit a million dollars in her business, she would find a way to self-sabotage her business because her mom would always step in and help her. 
And she needed her mom to step in and help her because she was always seeking her mom's validation and her mom's love. So every time she would hit a million, she could never get past a million. She would find a way to sabotage the business and her mom would step in. And that's how she knew her mom loved her. Once she recognized that, right, she was able to move past that and make way more money in her business and figure other ways out to figure out hey, this is how my mom shows her love. And this is how my mom loves me. You know, even the guy himself, right? He was struggling with always spending all of his money because he hated when people asked him for money and he had to lie to them. He's like, I don't want to lie to people because I don't want to give them any money. So I would spend my money so that when people asked me for money, I could confidently say, I don't have any money, right? So there are a lot of beliefs that, and this all started from his childhood, right? Because his parents were in a place where they always needed money. They would look to their kids like in their, their summer jobs, like, hey, can you loan me money here and there? And you know, all these things. kids, all they want to do is buy skateboards. So again, a lot of these financial beliefs started when they were very earlier on. So let's talk about how to, if we have some of these beliefs, some of these underlying beliefs, again, in episode 202, we talk about how to uncover these beliefs. But on this episode with Diwali, what can we start to do to better that relationship? How can we create a new blueprint in our minds to have us moving forward faster? If you could start with maybe number one for us. Yeah, number one is really understand what it is that you need. And this might seem basic, but I want to sort of caveat here that what you need can only be determined by you. And so of course, we know those really important essential financial needs we need to pay for, like make sure we got a roof over our head and food on the table. But if having a house cleaner is a need for you, because if not, <laughs> you're, every time you come into your house, you're going to be fighting with your spouse or partner, or you're going to feel like things are really disorganized. And having the house cleaner gives you that peace of mind that you can enter your home and it's a refuge. That is a need for you. I would say for me, having the internet is absolute need. Some Absolutely. people say, it's a want. No, it's a need, right? I need to do it to communicate with my clients. I needed to do my business. I needed to stay in touch with my family. I need to get on so, Instagram. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so I would say to really be in tune with what your needs are and only you can define what those needs are. So that's number one. Okay. So that's number one, as far as establishing a better or our best relationship with money. What's the number two thing that we can do to establish a better relationship with money? Think about the things that you value most and that brings joy to your life. Okay. And again, only you can define that. When we talk about living a life of sacrifice, delayed gratification, deprivation, I want to be financially well. If <laughs> It's going to mean I'm going to be miserable today. Right. But what that does mean is that, you know what, there's a lot of things that I'm spending money on that I'm not really valuing. Right. So in my example, it was clothes that had tags on it that I never used. I wasn't respecting that item because it never got used. And I wasn't respecting my wallet. I spend money on something that I forgot was sitting in my closet. So think about the things that you value most, but that also brings you joy. So it may not be those essential needs, right? The things that you absolutely need. But to me, it was traveling. I needed to refresh. I wanted to explore. I wanted to get on a plane and go somewhere else. And so traveling was a need for me. And so think about what those, what your needs are, but also what brings you joy, right? Being able to hop on a plane and go to my niece's ballet recital, that wasn't a, you know, that wasn't an absolute need, but it was something that brought me joy and it made me remember why I was working hard. So don't forget about what you value most and the things that bring you most joy. 
Absolutely. And even when it comes to spending that money, I'm thinking about another exercise, we can maybe add a 2A or, you know, a 3A or a 3B into this. But, you know, I heard on this podcast one time, I think it was Brooke Castile. I don't know if you know Brooke Castile, she's a life coach, but Mm -hmm. she talked about the power of being able to let go of money and allowing money Mm -hmm. to circulate, right? Allowing money to serve its purpose, not being stagnant, not hoarding it, right? And, you know, you think about when you spend money on like, a fine or a bill or, you know, uh, the example she used in that episode I listened to is like when you spend money at a restaurant and you think about how much it's going to cost you and you start to think of all the negative, right? That puts you in a negative state. But when you spend money at a restaurant and you purposely go in with the mindset like, okay, well, you know, this $40 or $150 or whatever it is, this is going to be able to help the server out right? This is going to be able to help out the owners of this restaurant. This is going to be able to help out the cooks in the kitchen. Not only that, but some of this money is actually going to the actual food companies that actually process this food, right? It's going to some of the farmers, right? Not only is it going to some of the farmers, but some of the farmers are using this money to put their kids in school. You start to think about how abundant money is and how your $40 meal is being stretched. That $40 is going to so many different places, right? It's providing for so many different people all at once. And it's not just oh man, like, you know, man, this, this, this is a really expensive steak, but rather like, this is all the stuff that I'm helping. I'm helping stimulate the economy. When you have that mindset towards money and you're not as tight and stingy towards how you spend money, cause you're still gonna, you're gonna spend that money anyways, right? Why not improve your mindset towards how you look at spending that money? So I just want to add that tidbit in there, but if you had any comments, you could definitely add on to it, but I definitely want to hear number three as well. So both of those. Yeah. One thing is also like I have found with working with my clients that sometimes they will begin to save money for a certain thing. And I never want them to feel guilty when it comes time to spend it, right? When you're like, oh, but it, but it could be doing all of this. And it's like, honey, if you save this money to buy that luxury handbag, go and buy it guilt-free because you've taken care of the things that matter most to you. You're taking care of the most important things. You're saving, you have an emergency fund, you're investing, you're building wealth. And now this is something that you are valuing and you have done it, right? Or it could be, you know, going on that vacation. I don't want you to be stingy (laughs) when it comes to going on vacation and like thinking about the dollars and cents. If you have been able to save money and been able to really reach a financial milestone, I want you to celebrate it and to use whatever that money was meant for. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. So the number three thing that we can do to improve our relationship with money, Wally, is what? Pay attention to it. So many of us will not open up those emails that say past due, not open up <laughs> those bit bills and just stack them. Or if I don't open it, it's not real. <laughs> And you know what I have found is that so many people, when they finally come face to face with their numbers, they're not in as bad as a place as they originally thought, right? There might need some help, some improvements need to happen, some changes need to be done. But I think so many times we really build it up to be like, I will never be able to overcome this. And it's like, just face it, you know, and it's easier said than done, right? definitely easier said than done, but just pay attention to it. Pay attention into how you feel when you are earning it, when you are spending it. And also pay attention to those things like those unopened bills that might be sitting around, right? It's time to really face it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. All right. Number four, Wally, hit me. 
Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of money. One of the things that I think really affects so many of us is this narrative that rich people are bad. Having money is being greedy. So we either are afraid of not having enough money or having too much money. And this was something that if you would have told me you're afraid of having too much money, I would have said, no, that's not me. But I realized that I had some really negative connotations to Mm. having too much money. And I was sort of afraid of what it would mean to begin building wealth. And so I would say, don't be afraid of money. Tell me what those fears were, right? Tell me why you were, why you felt as though you were afraid of being successful or you were afraid of having a lot of money and that this has to do with personal relationships or how your relationships would change if you did come into money, right? Um, So again, I want our listeners to be able to draw on these similarities and see, hey, that's me or, you know, whatever the case may be. What, What were you so scared of? Yeah, I remember the first time uh, when I received the notice that I was going to cross over to being a six-figure earner. And really, I was making like 95, I don't know, maybe 93, 94,000. And so crossing over to six figures wasn't a huge (laughs) leap. But to me, right. But to me, it was a huge obstacle. I remember feeling guilty, right? Mm. I was thinking about my own parents and how I was making more money than they had ever made in their life. It was during also that time where there was a lot of conversation about the one percenters. And I was like, does making a hundred thousand dollars make me a one percenter? And of course, of course it didn't, right? (laughs) It wasn't referring to me, but there was all of the, this bad connotation of what it meant to be successful and what it meant to have a lot of money. And so I began to feel guilty and I wrote an article a couple of years ago and it was a number one, it always fluctuates between number one and number two, if you like Google wealth guilt, and it's and I write in that article about the feeling that I had with like crossing over into that six figure mark and what that represented. I wondered whether or not people that I grew up in in my own community were going to think that I was going to be out of touch. Right. I was afraid of making that amount of money that I remember the first couple of paychecks. I just donated the difference between making, you know, $93,000 and making $100,000 because I didn't even want it. And I know some people can't relate to that because you're like, I don't, I would be really happy (laughs) if I made that amount of money. But there was such a heaviness to it because I thought people would look at me differently and I didn't know how to appreciate it. And so there was a little bit of fear, right? There was shame. There was maybe not shame, but there was like some guilt, right? I had some guilt about reaching that. And so just as we were talking about, you know, a a moment ago about being afraid to spend it, it was also like being afraid to make money. Yeah. And being I'm surprised that your, your guilt and those things didn't lead to self-sabotage because that's oftentimes what you see like because mm-hmm. of that guilt you don't even get to that goal if that was the goal because you're just like I don't want to get there but you know in your terms it, it kind of opened your eyes so did you start to do anything to get yourself out of that mental you know palace we'll call it a palace but it's really a mental jail did you do anything to get yourself out of that mental palace? It really could have led to self-sabotage, right? It really could have, because one of the things that I, you know, like I said, I carried around this guilt about it and I could have just started spending it, you know, and I did for a while, right? Because it wasn't at that moment that I decided to get on my financial wellness journey. So I began spending it, but I began really saying that I was worthy to make money, right? I worked hard and I was worthy to make money. And I actually 
want to take walk that back because there's a lot of people who work hard and will never be making that amount of money right so it's I, the amount of work that you put out there does not equate is not equate to the amount of money that you make. Um, and even in the conversation about passive income, right? Like I mentioned, our passive income is generating way more than our the work that we're putting in. So it was one of those things where I had to really say that I was worthy, that I was worthy and that I could do good with money, that there were a lot of people who were not doing good things with their money, but I didn't have to fall into that trap. And so I could define how I could use money and that I could change the lives of people with the money that I was making. I could change the trajectory of my whole family legacy. And I think that when I made it about not just me, but about what money could do for my family and for that whole, again, that whole generation and the next generation, I felt really empowered. Yeah. When we talk about that work, I mean, it's easy to talk about it in a 20 second soundbite and make it sound easy. But you say that you told yourself these things. And I beg to bargain that you didn't just tell yourself these things one time, right? It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to tell myself these things and everything's going to be fixed, right? Were there, was it more so an affirmation type thing you were doing on a day-to-day basis? What was the actual work that you were putting in to solidify that new belief? I began saying it even when I didn't believe it, right? So that is that affirmation work. I began saying it before I believed it, before I felt comfortable with it. I was saying, you know, it, it was beyond just not... Because I heard one comment and somebody said, well, you just needed to be grateful. No, I was grateful. I was thankful that I had made, that I was able to do that, but there was still guilt associated with that, right? And so I really had to sit with it that, yes, I am thankful and these are the reasons why, right? Money can change my life for the good. It doesn't have to change it for the bad. You know, it doesn't have to change it for evil. It could be, it could really be used as a tool because money isn't good or bad, right? It's neutral. It's simply a tool. And how was I going to be able to use that tool to improve my community, my life, the life of my family? And again, really when I tied it to what it could do for my whole financial legacy, there's this like Instagram meme and it says, you know, poverty ran in my family until it ran into me. Mm. I soaked that in and I was like, yes, right? This means that even though I had to go to school, take 18 credit hours and work two part-time jobs, I could help the next generation, my nieces, my nephews be able to do that. So they don't have to work, you know, (laughs) two part-time jobs, right? So really sort of sitting with, you know, beginning saying those affirmations, even when it was hard to believe. And I repeated it over and over again until it began to be a part of me. And now I 100%, like, you can't tell me nothing. (laughs) Mm, I'm like, this is going to be good. All right. So last but not least, let's get to the last and final tip that you have for us in terms of bettering our relationship with money. Wally hit me. The last and final tip is create a plan. You have to create a plan before you get the money. Don't think, okay, when I make this amount of money, right? that's when I'm going to be able to save and invest and do all of these things before you earn it, before you get it, before that rent check hits, before that direct deposit hits, make sure you have a plan for the way 
you want to spend money, the way you want to use money and how you're going to use it. And one of the things that that does is that it exposes you to, to spending time with your money and thinking about it, right? It's not, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. This is not like, oh gosh, I got to go, you know, have a 10 tab Excel spreadsheet. This is really about creating that healthy relationship by sitting with it and creating a plan for that money. Yeah, I love it. I love it. This episode is brought to you by Fundrise. It's never been easier to become a real estate investor with as little as $500 Watch your money passively work for you by investing in real estate through a crowdfunding platform like Fundrise. In just a few minutes, you can invest in hundreds of highly vetted multi-million dollar properties such as hotels, apartment buildings, and offices all around the U.S. Based on your financial goals, Fundrise will detail a few REITs, real estate investment trusts, for you to choose from with the click of a button you can own fractional shares of really amazing deals that before the Jobs Act of 2012 were impossible for the everyday non-accredited investor to even hear about, much less invest in. Now, what I like about Fundrise is they're ridiculously low advisory fees. So dig this, at 1.5%, my actual returns on Fundrise are outperforming my stated returns and other assets, even though they advertise higher returns. So Fundrise has no hidden costs, no management fees, no unfavorable terms. And for the BTM tribe, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise, that's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E, for your first three months of advisory fees totally waived. Yes, the actual only fee that Fundrise charges is being waived for three months. Simply head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise and welcome yourself to a real alternative to investing in the stock market. That link, one last time, is beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Book that transformed my life, The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. Love it. That is definitely a guest favorite for sure and will be in the show notes. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. There is an app called Personal Capital. It's a great tool that really helped me understand and track my net worth. I love that tool. It's free. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. It is free. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? I feel more than just financial stability. I feel financially confident and I'm able to, yeah, live the life that I've always wanted to live. I don't have to wait till I'm financially independent. I'm I doing it. it now. I love it. I love it. I love it. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? This one is a hard one because I don't really think that I made sacrifices. What I did was prioritize, right? So it was most important to me to be able to buy my freedom. Um, so yeah, I think first, you know, I made decisions about not eating out every single day <laughs> or buying lunch every single day. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a sacrifice, but that was a change, right? I went from buying lunch almost every single day to cooking a little bit more and to really focusing when I did go out to dinner, um, made it intentional. I like it. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? 
I would say was when I would say was that bad supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> because it really it really showed me the limitations and the dependency I had on other people when it came to making money. Yeah, I love that. People don't normally name a negative person in this segment. And I love that you did because some of the, sometimes it's those people that fuel us the most. So I love that. Absolutely. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? We overcomplicate it. Financial, uh, you know, financial management, personal finances, financial literacy. It's simple, but it isn't easy to implement. Absolutely. If the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, they want to say hi to you, they want to connect with you, figure out what you got going on, find out how you can possibly help them, where can they find some of your information? Thank you so much for having me. I am most active on Instagram. Um, you can find all of my social media handles on my website, which is financiallythriving.com and IG is financially underscore thriving. Love it. Love it. And the links to everything that we talked about on today's show will be in the show notes, ladies and gents. Again, Mrs. Miller, thank you for gracing us with your presence. We've learned so much about your journey and how to achieve financial freedom, or as you like to coin it, financial independence. And we'll talk to you very, very soon.